Hi, welcome to this Physicians Weekly's podcast. My name is Dr. Rachel Giles. I'm your host for this podcast. And today we've got some great interviews as usual. This is Physicians Weekly. And here we are at episode 107. This week we have two guests catching us up on the newest and greatest news in their respective fields. We start off by talking with Ali Stunt in the UK, and she is a pancreatic cancer survivor herself, and she's also the founder of Pancreatic Cancer Action, or PCA. She is a fierce advocate for pancreatic cancer patients around the globe. PCA has succeeded in campaigning for many life-changing interventions in terms of direct referrals for CT scans from GPs, direct referrals for pharmacists, and breaking down the barriers so that the general public can better understand the symptoms and risk factors of pancreatic cancer. Since 2010, she has devoted her life to improving early diagnosis of pancreatic cancer, which only has a 7.9% five-year survival rate, and she's considered an expert thought leader by doctors, scientists, and politicians in this field. Next, we speak with Harvard professor Samir Mitagotri. The Mitagotri Lab has made groundbreaking contributions to the fields of drug delivery and biomaterials. Drug delivery is the science and engineering of converting potent drugs into beneficial therapies, and their research has advanced the fundamental understanding of the biology of barriers in the human body. And it's really led to a development of new materials and technologies for the diagnosis as well as the treatment of various ailments, including diabetes, cancer, cardiovascular diseases, skin conditions, and infections. He talks us through a novel breakthrough his lab recently published in which they used an engineered particle referred to as a backpack that can robustly adhere to macrophage surfaces and regulate cellular phenotypes in vivo. Although their work is not yet ready to be applied in the clinic, understanding how these approaches work is not only interesting, but it's really a refreshing and innovative approach to drug delivery that we'll be seeing a lot more of soon. Enjoy listening. So thanks so much for joining us. I've known you for a little while, but perhaps you could introduce yourself and what your interests are. I think this is a very interesting topic. Hello, uh, my name's Ali Stunt. I'm the founder of a charity, UK charity, Pancreatic Cancer Action. And one of the reasons why I founded the charity is uh, I myself unfortunately developed pancreatic cancer in 2007, uh, age 41. And my main mission is to try and get more people having the outcome that I've had. Only 1% of us in the UK will survive beyond 10 years. Uh, I've survived six nearly so it's uh, it's really important to me that we try and improve early diagnosis of pancreatic cancer and how do you go about doing that well there's several ways public awareness of the disease is incredibly low awareness among general uh, practitioners is also not as good as it should be there's also some issues surrounding the disease in terms of you know the the nihilism surrounding pancreatic cancer that nothing can be done that nobody survives i think it's really important with such low survival rates that people like myself actually speak up talk about the disease and also uh, you know to so people can recognize maybe if they or a loved one or a friend 
are having symptoms that are suggestive of being pancreatic cancer that they actually get checked out and checked out promptly. So awareness is key. Also uh, trying to engage the healthcare system to try and speed up referrals for suspected pancreatic cancer and all cancers, of course. But and, you know, in, in the UK, we, we do have a bit of a gatekeeper system with regard to our GPs and GPs currently are not able to directly refer to a CT scan. Um, so they have to go via a, a consultant. So that delays things for patients. So we've been lobbying for that access uh, for GPs and the NHS in England has uh, now agreed that uh, that can happen. We've also been lobbying for pharmacists to be able to take more direct role to be able to refer patients through to secondary care. And we are now starting to, to develop a pilot alongside NHS England and the pharmacy uh, societies in order to get community pharmacists access to directly refer. And piloting, I think, is very important because there are also amongst the healthcare professional uh, community, there are some some anxieties surrounding the competency of pharmacists to be able to refer, which I think is misguided. But, uh, you know, I'm really excited that that kind of thing is happening. So it's very, very important that the patient voice actually is there speaking up for patients and trying to improve pathways, trying to improve awareness and, and to educate healthcare professionals in terms of what it's like, not only to be a patient, but also where the system falls down and what we can do about it. And so do you do that by generating data through surveys of patients or how do you generate that data of where the obstacles are that patients are experiencing? Yeah, we do do public surveys, we do patient surveys. That's why we know that uh, 70% of the UK population doesn't know where their pancreas is in the body. And they they really don't understand what the pancreas does. So that that kind of awareness that gives us the data to show, oh my goodness, this is where we need to focus on. And also regionally as well. So if your survey is large enough, then you can collate uh, regional data and uh, and then we can focus our campaigns on, on those areas where there might be either lack of awareness or no awareness and uh, just to try and improve the, the, the referral rates. And because there's usually a direct correlation between the awareness levels and the the sort of state of the disease, so the late stage diagnosis and that kind of stuff. So if, if, if you've got low awareness levels, then the, the disease is often diagnosed later and the prognosis is not very good. Right. And what sort of other things can patient organizations do besides bring to light the obstacles and the the, the problems in the so-called patient journey? I kind of hate that word because it suggests you're going on holiday. But um, the, the patient pathway, we can highlight those as patient organizations. We can highlight those obstacles, but there's so much more that can be done. Are you guys busy at levels of policy as well? And well, you gave some examples of local policy changes. Absolutely. I mean, you can see some of the things that we've lobbied for and, and we fed into the Health and Social Care Select Committee inquiries and, and given evidence that we've produced and not just our own surveys, but also evidence from the literature. We, there are lots of comparison studies that show that uh, pancreatic cancer survival rates in the UK are far worse than, than those in Australia, for example. And we can also highlight that in Australia, GPs do have direct access to CT scans and also the amount of CT scanners um, per per capita uh, is much, much greater in Australia. So we, we feed in that kind of data. So looking at that, 
uh, at the literature and my team's very very good at that we also lobby politicians and uh, here in the UK we have what what are known as devolved governments so England uh, Scotland Northern Ireland and Wales we all do our own thing which um, personally I'm not in favour of I'd much rather that there is one NHS and you haven't got duplication you've got different cancer policies and standards and and pathways even so it's really important that that's all joined up so we lobby on that score as well so a lot of political activity excellent and so when i think about patient organizations a lot of people think about just peer-to-peer support uh, networks which is essential as well but how can patient organizations in general not just in pancreatic cancer work with healthcare professionals to achieve better outcomes and how can we engage patients better the healthcare professionals, I think what we need to do as an organisation is actually gain their trust so they don't feel that we are actually lobbying against them, that it's not them, it's the system. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's really, really important because I think uh, th- there are an awful lot of healthcare professionals who really want to change things for their patients. Yes. And so we need to be able to be that sort of conduit to allow that, to facilitate that. And and that's where we garner the support of, of those healthcare professionals. Uh, and on the flip side of that, we can also, through those healthcare professionals, reach some of the patients that we need to be speaking to. So we also need to understand from the patients where their frustrations are where the lack of attention is for people because we we tend to find that you know when you're a cancer patient you are suddenly thrown into this world that is completely alien and as a patient organization we need to help yeah. patients be able to navigate that as best they can. And it's really, really important that we do that. And it's really important we have the support of the healthcare professionals in order to help us do that. And, you know, I I speak mainly to carers rather than patients themselves, although I do speak to patients directly. But, uh, you know, they are really trying their best to navigate the system. It's very, very alien, as I mentioned before. And we are there to help them navigate their their way through that and I think I think it's really important the peer to peer support we don't do that very much as an organization i will talk to patients personally if they want to talk to me but really our focus is trying to change the numbers for for pancreatic cancer and you know by looking at pathways and and mainly the referral pathways and the diagnostic pathways so how we can change that so I can't speak for all cancers, but I know in the, my specialization, the real bottleneck is the time from diagnosis to the time of treatment is the most vulnerable time for a patient, a little bit like what you said, where they are thrown into a new world and people are resorting to Googling you know, information and they're getting terrified because they're seeing perhaps outdated information or you know that this is a certain death sentence kind of thing. How do you manage that kind of misinformation? It's a real problem, I have to say. I think some of the more extreme things that that we've heard patients say is that they've spent $1,500 on a coffee enema to help cure their pancreatic cancer. And that's just dangerous. And, and it's charlatans who are profiting on the back of people who are really, really vulnerable. Yes, we, we tend to try and say to people, you know, don't 
Google, Google organizations, Google credible charitable organizations. And because, you know, all our patient information that we produce has what we have here in the UK called a PIFTIC, so Patient Information Forum. And all of the information is evidence-based, it's peer-reviewed, and it's lay-reviewed. And I think it's really important that all our information goes through that process. So we try and encourage people who find us. We can't deal with those people who don't know us, but to avoid the the Googling, because there are an awful lot of uh, charlatans out there who will take advantage, which is just despicable. Yeah, no, on a similar note, we have a lot of cancer patients also paying out of pocket for genomic testing because they believe that will help. They've heard about precision medicine. And that's also just a pity because if there's no evidence that for your particular type of cancer. Again, that it's an evolving area, certainly for pancreas cancer. Yeah. And they're very limited targeted therapies. So what is the point, really, unless you've got a very, very strong family history of your cancer uh, or even other associated cancers, then it may be advisable to be referred. But be referred by a specialist. Don't go to a private company. And and that's what we'll try and counsel as well. And what about patient engagement? I just touched upon that. But um, could you speak to how do we try and motivate patients to become more engaged in their own health management? That is, from my disease area, uh, is is really quite tricky because 80% of patients have a a terminal prognosis and it's it's very, very difficult. But for those who have a better prognosis, you know, there are a few people out there like, like me who want to advocate, who want to change the world of their own cancer. And, and, and it's really allowing them to have that platform. It's actually, you know, if they're showing interest and they're seeking out, I, you know, I want to help, what can I do? And I think we really need to take up that offer of, of them being our advocates. Not everyone can do it, though. It depends on what level of engagement uh, you want your patients to have. But we, we have several different layers where simply sharing their own story to help others. And we've got a huge section on our website of different experiences of pancreatic cancer. And also being media volunteers. So we have a bank of people who are willing, particularly in November's Awareness Month, to actually be on TV, radio, in their local newspaper to spread the word about pancreatic cancer. So we have a bank of those people who will do that. We have also some patients who will stand up at a, at a podium at a conference and, and tell their story, which, you know, to a few hundred people can be quite, a, 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 yeah, it's, it's, it's daunting. So, um, but the, again, there's a certain type of patient who is willing to do that. And not everybody engages in the same way. And I think um, you can't pigeonhole patients uh, into any of those different activities and they they tend to sort of naturally drop into into those roles as it were and uh, but it's also important that we keep them engaged you know we need to make sure that uh, you know they're they're aware of any latest developments we we you know keep keeping in contact with them rather than just using them once a year for for a media story to actually make them feel that they are part of that community and they they are really helping uh, in in the work that that they do so it's it, right. that engagement is is really important do you think that the medical community in, as a whole is taking sufficient advantage of advocacy groups like yours definitely not so how no. how could we work together better 
Well, I think, again, it's it's down to that trust level and it's it's a bit of scratching each other's backs, as it were, to completely screw up a metaphor. <laughs> you know, they, they have their agenda. They're also extraordinarily busy. And, and we have to be mindful of that. Um, and certainly here in, in the UK, there's a backlog of, of patients needing treatment and, and that kind of thing. We're in a bit of a crisis uh, in our healthcare system at the moment. But, but you know, it's, it's actually understanding what the physicians need and what their patients need and actually finding that connection and actually making sure that we do get the patient engagement involved. We do, you know, you have a lot of medical conferences around, um, some internally, some global, and I think it's really important that uh, we bring patients along to those and patients speak. Um, and I, it's really important to get that message across to healthcare professionals. I did a webinar last week with the Royal College of GPs yes. and you know, all the questions I had were about my experience, which is really, really good because they were engaging with my story with and wanting to know, I know, what did it, the pain feel like, what, all of this kind of yeah. stuff, because they were trying to understand the symptoms of the disease. And that's as important as telling them, you know, the latest statistics or what they're doing in their region and uh, versus the rest of the world and that kind of thing. It's really that human touch, which actually brings the disease to life rather than it just, you know, being on a, a, a sheet yeah. of paper or on a screen, a computer screen and actually gives it a 3D dimension in terms of having that patient there and, and sort of seeing what a patient goes through is really important for that empathy. All right. Well, do you have any other final comments you wanted to share with uh, physicians about what it's like to be a pancreatic cancer advocate? I, I, well, I just say, you know, please open your doors to us um, if we come knocking uh, or reach out to us and say, I'd really like to help with your advocacy piece. How can I help? And it could be an advisor to the organisation in terms of the disease area or, or it could be, you know, speaking at conferences and, and that kind of thing or just providing us with peer reviews for some of our literature. Um, you know, just engage, just communicate with us. And we, you know, our door is always open for for physicians. Um, they're very important, naturally. Thank you so much for your time. This is uh, really interesting and full of insights. So thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. Our next guest is Harvard professor Samir Mitagotri, and he's going to talk to us about his backpack technology for treating or potentially treating multiple sclerosis. Really interesting stuff. Thank you so much for joining us, uh, Professor uh, Mitagotri. Could you tell me a little bit about your research? I was interested in this, this backpack concept for uh, multiple sclerosis. Maybe you could just sketch out what you're trying to achieve and how you did it. Sure. So my name is Samir Mitra Gotri. Uh, I'm a faculty of bioengineering at Harvard University uh, and Wies Institute. And my lab works in the field of drug delivery and therapeutics. Yeah, so we are looking to develop a new way to treat multiple sclerosis. And the, the angle that we took was the use of the innate immune system well, thank you so much for joining us today. If you start tell by telling me a little bit about what is the unmet need in multiple sclerosis patients that your lab is trying to address? So currently, there is no great way to treat multiple sclerosis. 
the only thing that are out there are systemic immunosuppressants you know which don't work quite well and there is uh, there are a lot of side effects uh, because the brain is so difficult to uh, get into and treat the disease and that's where we thought our approach of using uh, innate immune cells can really come in handy and we started using macrophages and monocytes the key components of the innate system and we developed a strategy which uh, shows some very interesting promise for the treatment of ms well tell us a bit more about that strategy please sure so you know when it comes to uh, the ms the focus has always been on the adaptive side of the immune system because that's the side that attacking the uh, the tissue and is responsible for the degradation but what is sort of known but not fully appreciated is that the innate immune system is driving a lot of the inflammation in the brain which eventually triggers the adaptive immune system so we wondered wouldn't it be interesting to target that mm -hmm. and uh, attack the problem from a different angle and so we wanted to use a therapy that uses uh, the innate uh, immune cells monocytes and macrophages which can get into the brain and reduce the inflammation but a key challenge there uh, as you may know is mm -hmm. that the innate immune system is very flexible it basically can be affected by the surroundings so when the monocytes from the circulation get into the brain they see the inflammation in the tissue and they themselves become part of the problem so we figured there must be that we need to have a way to control the behavior of the innate immune uh, of the macrophages and monocytes as they get into the brain so we developed a technology that we call backpacks and backpacks are polymeric particles uh, these are very unusual particles in the sense that they have a shape like a disc uh, their diameter is comparable to the cell diameter a uh, few microns but they're very thin. So if you, um, you can almost imagine like a patch sitting on the cell, uh, a micro patch, yeah. and uh, it adheres very well to the monocyte and it goes wherever the monocyte goes. Okay. And we have incorporated two agents, two drugs in the backpack. One is dexamethasone and the other is interleukin-4. So this is a very potent combination that can control the phenotype of the macrophage. And uh, when we put these uh, backpacks containing these, these two drugs on monocytes and inject them intravenously, they get into the brain along with the monocyte and they control the phenotype of the cell in situ. And because the drugs are localized so close to the cell, we can deliver a high local concentration to control the phenotype of the cell without getting uh, any uh, without getting the drug released everywhere right so it's a very highly engineered way of controlling the behavior of the cell wherever it is and by doing that we can reduce the inflammation in the brain and that subsequently leads to the uh, improvement of the disease outcome how interesting. So that's a very unique and, and, and novel approach to something that's super specific and delivers super localized delivery of, of drugs. Well, in this case, signaling pathways, I suppose. It stimulates a, a very specific signaling pathway in a very local area. That's exciting. How do you measure the effects? 
So uh, when we design the backpack, we measure the effect on the cell itself. Sure. So that is done ex vivo. So we attach the backpack to monocyte and we look at how it behaves and look at the markers, the pro-inflammatory and anti-inflammatory markers uh, of the resulting macrophage and make sure that the backpack is delivering sufficient doses of uh, uh, the, the the drugs to control the phenotype of the macrophage. And then in terms of the disease outcome, we test that in a rodent model. This is the EAE model uh-huh. where we induce the model and we inject the cells carrying the backpacks uh, intravenously and look at the behavior of, of the rodent to confirm the outcome of the disease. And then we also look at the tissue, which is really, which gives us a good indication as to what's happening at the cell and tissue level within the brain. And there we can see that the cells which have infiltrated into the tissue and carry backpacks have been able to maintain uh, the right phenotype in the disease microenvironment. Okay, so that looks very promising. What are some of the next steps? Uh, so the next steps are uh, multiple fold. Uh, we are continuing to optimize the system to improve the performance. And the next steps also include, you know, collaboration with the clinician to really advance it uh, towards the clinic. And as the technology goes from the discovery part where we are to the path to the clinic, all the key translational steps that need to be taken in terms of optimization, scale up, evaluation of safety and longer term evaluation, so those are the steps we are looking at in collaboration with clinicians and uh, figuring out a path to move this technology forward. It's very exciting research. So I, I think yeah, I wish you best of luck with that, and encouraging that and getting that further. Thank you so much. Very appreciate it. Okay. Well, are there any other points that you would like to make to uh, clinicians about how they can support or understand research, basic research, the fundamental research in this respect? especially with Ectrins coming up, there's a number of of big conferences coming up. What kind of messages can you share with clinicians to help them understand your research? I think, you know, there are, uh, MS is a complex disease and strategies that attack the problem from multiple angles are really beneficial. And uh, we do feel that the, the role of the innate immune system in this has been not as well appreciated. And that offers a very interesting opportunity not only to understand the disease, but also to treat it. So we are very excited about exploring uh, that avenue of attacking the disease. And it will be great to, you know, kind of identify multiple strategies and work in collaboration to move these uh, ideas forward. Right. Thank you so much for your time and expertise and insights here. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Rachel, for your interest. Thank you. In interview. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. It was kind of a mixed bag again of really interesting speakers and different topics, including pancreatic cancer and multiple sclerosis, futuristic technologies. Anyway, we look forward to hearing your feedback. If you have anything to say or have ideas for topics that we should be covering that you'd be interested in, we'd love to hear it. So please just write us and let us know. Many thanks. Stay safe and stay healthy. Thanks for listening to Physicians Weekly. 